0: Okay, moms, welcome back on the MIC. Today, I have an incredible guest. You guys are not even ready. Say hello to L.A. Wade. Hey, everybody. How you doing? I first, when I, okay, so I've I've met you before. We've actually met. I didn't remember You don't remember? Of course, you were busy. I (laughs) met L.A. Wade on the um, red carpet of uh, a gala, or gala, however you say it. (laughs) A few weeks back. And I remember your energy just being so bright and just so warm. Thank you. And surprising, like, to my surprise, I literally just put feelers out in a group chat that I'm in. Um, it's a co- black community That's group right. chat or something yes. to see if there were any moms in there who wanted to be on my podcast. L.A., wait it's la yeah la yeah. stands
1: for laurianne oh but Laurie-Anne. everyone calls me LA. la yeah
0: la replies and says yeah i'll do it you know i want to you know come and talk about my book and then I, when i go and do my research i'm like i know this lady <laughs> and your locks were styled like oh, she did so it out. shout out to
1: angie she does a really good job this is me but no, it's still- that day she was i know what you're talking about she killed it beautiful yeah (laughs) so
0: so 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 good so we're here today to talk about well really relationships I guess marriage life just all types of things but I want to go into this with some icebreaker questions sure just so that we can warm up a little bit get to know each other a little and have a little bit of fun okay Mm -hmm. so married single or dating yes (laughs) <laughs> Which one are you at right now? Where are we okay, at? Okay, so
1: I'm technically still married because I've been okay. separated okay. since 2016, but my divorce papers, I the, the ink has not dried yet. I'm single because I'm in between, I'm separated. And I'm dating in the sense that I'm not stopping myself from meeting people and going on dates. So So it's all of the
0: above. (laughs) It
1: really is all of the above. (laughs) But I don't consider myself married, but I am technically, I guess, still married. Yeah,
0: exactly. Just technically. Just technically. I'm married.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, (laughs) I'm just
0: kidding. (laughs) No, it's good. He's great. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But then again, we're three years in. But no, 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 no. This is going to
1: be an anointed marriage. Don't worry.
0: Yeah, so I'm married. Okay, so first celebrity
1: crush. Hmm, first celebrity crush would have been when I was young, it was probably LL Cool J.
0: Really? Okay, yeah. you know what? I'm <laughs> mad at it. I'm not mad. Until I saw
1: him take off his hat. And then I was like, nah, I'm good.
0: <laughs> I can't oh, this is gonna show the age gap, but I my, my first celebrity crush was Lil Romeo.
1: No. What? Yes. I guess I could have been with his dad then.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, Master, Master P. P. <laughs> Exactly. Oh,
0: Lil Romeo was oh the love of okay. my life. I can see that like- he's
1: adorable. Oh my
0: god! What but you know? what's bad
1: when I saw when what's that guy? Um, he was Omarion. Oh, okay. he was in that group with all the kids, and I was like, oh, they're so cute. And now he's like a full-fledged man, and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't be thinking these things. I'm too old for that. Well, he, the threshold. <laughs> he crossed the thresh. He He crossed the line. You know, there's always that age that we can all enjoy each other. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly, because now I guess I'm at an age now where even if someone my age was with Master P, that would be okay. Exactly. You see, it's weird though, huh? How old is uh, Little Romeo? He's thirty something now. You see, I could yeah. also.
1: That's true. But back then, probably not. It wouldn't be a good no. Look. No.
0: <laughs> my inner child was heartbroken the other <laughs> day. You know, he's found love and he's got a baby and he's uh, he's grown up. Well, and you found so love. So have and you I. Have a baby. But my inner child. Oh right. She's you know, still hurting. Twelve year old me was like, no.
1: Oh He's broken my heart. Aww, <laughs> okay, cute. so one more.
0: Biggest relationship regret.
1: You know, I was thinking about this. It's funny that you asked me that just the other day. I don't know if I regret anything other than the fact that my the demise of my relationship is inevitably going to, has and and, and will impact my children.
0: Mm. So
1: I, I don't regret the growing and learning that they're going to have from that. However, of course, you want to avoid children feeling any kind of pain as a mother. Oh, yeah. So um, when I see the heartbreak of the dream being dead for them as well, that's I, I would think that that would be my biggest regret.
0: Oh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes me feel... Well, my parents My parents divorced. Yeah. So I, I know that feeling. Yeah. yeah, it's not nice. You know? Right. And it's not nice. And so, yeah, I do get what you're saying from the other side. I guess I've never really thought about it from that perspective and i don't talk to my, my i right. don't want to have this conversation with my parents yeah. right of course <laughs> not but it's interesting having this conversation with you who's been through you know that's yes. g- what my mom has been through oh so. yeah
1: we think about it we do think about yeah. it but inevitably and as a good mother and as a good woman you inevitably have to choose yourself or else you're also teaching your children something that you wouldn't want for them yeah so in that way it might have hurt you, but it also formulated the woman that you are now. Yeah. But it's also like a right. good
0: example for your kids too. Yes. So that they can see that you don't ha- you shouldn't stay in a relate really, in a in a situation that's making you desperately unhappy. Yeah. Absolutely you know? not. And that is that is a strong lesson.
1: It is. As and much and
0: as <sighs> it might hurt to see your parents split up, you still are always happy inside yeah. that they chose joy. Yes. Because a lot of the time I know with me and a lot of my friends whose parents split. We all had this feeling of you should have split a long time ago because you can see when your parents are not happy. Exactly. And you're like, I wish you guys would just divorce.
1: Exactly, because (laughs) everyone would be happier. Yes, we'd all be happier. Yeah. Yeah,
0: 100%. Yeah. So um, this is a nice one. Most romantic
1: thing you've ever done for anyone that I've ever done uh the most romantic thing i've ever done is actually in chapter no um <laughs> <laughs> oh i can't wait for these these nuggets from the book um i would think that I, I can't pinpoint one thing because i actually try to be in a relationship daily being romantic that's nice so i think that is the most romantic thing that i do is that i live romantically when i'm in a relationship and you keep it alive yeah, so I pay attention. Mm. Um, I pay attention to the things that they both say and don't say, to the things that are important or of value to them, and then I, you know, if I'm somewhere, they're always on my mind. I will stop and choose something for them or write a letter acknowledging. I do this thing. You can do. Every family needs to do this. I love it. We have a jar in our home, and from January first until December thirty first, we fill it sporadically. With, thing, with the date mm-hmm. that the thing is happening, and then whatever it was that jumped out at us. Oh. So, you know, my youngest name is Brayden. I'll say, oh, Brayden thanked me for making him dinner today. Oh. And I'll put it in the jar. And then he might put something in like, you know, Mommy took time off work just to take me to the zoo, whatever it was. And over the year, we accumulate all of these, you know, gratitudes. Mm. And when we, on December 31st, when we, well, when we used to all be together on December 31st, we would open the jar and read to one another the things that we noticed throughout the year. Oh, I love that. And it's such a beautiful way to acknowledge, in terms of romance, And in terms of just loving on your children, it's a really great way to contextualize your family and the things that you want to do and hope for for one another.
0: That is so healthy. (laughs) (laughs) So how did I get here? Yeah, I know. No, that is so healthy. I love that so much. In fact, talk to me more about
1: that, to be honest with you. Would you
0: say that like, just in general, your family dynamic was positive,
1: Yes, I would say so very much. Um, and it comes from that desire. I, I have this term that I use that all of you, I, all of the younger people use, call thirsty AF. <laughs> and, but, <laughs> but my thirst was for the type of family that I never had. Oh, there and we go. Yeah, yeah. So my thirst was, and so when you're thirsty for something, you want to drink in the thing to satisfy that and quench that thirst. And having that family dynamic was really important to me. I think the demise was I wasn't married to someone who thought exactly the way that I did, which, okay. is, which isn't which is bad, but didn't also kind of put the same value on or respect the value that I had mm. for that same thing. And that made it really challenging because yeah. when something was important to me, they could, you know, minimize the importance of it, which would then alienate me and feel like I didn't feel connected in my family. Yeah, I yeah. think
0: that's that's something, I guess, that we don't take into consideration. Sometimes when two t- two people in a, in a marriage or a relationship have two different ideas of what something should be like. Yeah, it can make you feel like, well, the, Does that mean there's something wrong with my idea of. Right, how things should be exactly because you know you don't share the view. so is, is that does that you kind of start to feel a little bit of shame sometimes yes. like there's
1: something wrong with me then exactly and when you come from I, i'm from a very traumatic background and so when my default is based in that trauma and the person that you've chosen to live your life with is reflecting and you know manifesting the very thing that you're most afraid of you don't feel safe anymore yeah and you start looking for that safety outside Do you feel like of kind your
0: being being from that kind of background do you think that that part of that kind of caused you to attract those same sort of things in oh yeah
1: like daddy issues mommy issues Uh, absolutely i think those things are very very real but most of us are blind they're in our blind spots yeah and even if you were to tell me hey look at that thing behind you i have to be able to turn around and see it yeah um but a lot of us are just thinking i don't know what you're talking about they look at you like you're crazy um there's nothing behind me because if you can't see it then you don't believe that it's there especially if you don't really know that individual you're getting to know them yeah yeah and there's
0: some things you don't even realize until you get deeper into the relationship or marriage anyway like exactly i i there was a fun do you remember when um I don't know if you know about all of this that was happening online, but you know um, Steve Harvey's daughter, Laura. Oh, Harvey, yes, yes. You know how she had a relationship with Michael B. She's Jordan? She's quite adventurous, I've heard. <laughs> she's quite adventurous, yeah. <laughs> but there were these posts about how, um, basically, Michael B. Jordan just looks like a mini Steve Harvey, and that oh, she's just dating someone that looks issues. just like her dad. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't even comment on that because I'm guilty as charged. When I look <laughs> at my husband, he looks kind of like my dad. Right. Same height, same, like, build, They're born in the same week. So my dad's the 24th of March, and my husband's the 27th of March. (laughs) <laughs> um and at first i was thinking oh they're not they're nothing like personality wise i thought they didn't have like similar personality traits because they are quite different right until i got married to my husband and then i started to see certain personality traits <laughs> that he has that are just like my dad and i'm like hmm but were those
1: good things or bad things they're, they're not good or bad they're okay. just things <laughs> yeah so the problem is when they're bad things they're,
0: they're <laughs> the problem is when they're bad things yeah yeah i didn't even realize that until it kind of got deeper and i didn't i didn't peg myself as someone who would marry someone that was like their dad i didn't think oh yeah well, I mean, but we, i guess we that's why when i did
1: yeah no we <laughs> seek comfort all the time mm. and um acceptance and belonging and what great place to start then with our families even in the dysfunction yeah that's what we're used to we feel comfortable there so that's what we'll choose mm. yeah don't worry <laughs> I'm sure you. I'm sure your um, your dad is probably amazing. I love my
0: dad. We exactly. actually have a lot in common. Like he's not perfect.
1: What? Who? Per- which person? <laughs> is?
0: But you know we have a lot in common. I think there are a lot of things about me that I do get from him. Yeah. So we do have a lot in common, and I, th- he's he's a very inspiring man. When you really think about his life and mm. the things he's done and like his talents, his knowledge. like he's really in. He's
1: really a great man. And is your husband the same way? Yeah, well, I would then,
0: say so. Then you're good. Yeah, you're good. So, okay, so we've talked about, we talked about that. I want to know, before we even get into the book, because that is something I really want to delve it's, into. It's something.
1: Guys, you're not <laughs> even ready
0: for this, but I want to know a little bit more about your career, what you do outside of obviously being an author. Right. Um, We know that you're a host. Yes. <laughs> we know that you have, you have a podcast or a I talk do. show. I do, have a traveling podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and what else?
1: So I originally started working at the University of Toronto about 13 years ago. I was a registrar and sessional lecturer there. and Oh. Yeah, so I got to, and that just came about because I, in my, one of my post-grad years in doing my Master's of Education, I wrote an article about Rihanna and um, when she was beaten by Chris Brown okay and it wasn't about the beating necessarily but I have a theory that I call symbolic proximity Mm. and it's the idea that you have internalized ideals of what something should be like and then our behaviors and our consumption patterns kind of reflect this proximity that we're trying to get closer to and in the paper it's funny that we're talking about mothers because growing up in Canada even though my family is from Grenada I often saw these white women as the ideal of what mothers should be. Oh. Right. Yeah. And so everything subconsciously in my mind was, oh, I gotta get the Lululemon pants. I better <laughs> I better go to Starbucks and get my coffee. Even though I hate coffee. Um, you know, I have to be married, I have to have two kids mm-hmm. at minimum. Um, we have to have a dog, like all of these status symbolic. And so my proximity was always like, well, shit, I'm, I'm single. Um, I don't have this. I don't have that. I can't afford Lululemon pants at the time. And so I was trying to get closer in proximity to my ideal. Mm. And so putting myself through school, getting, increasing my income allowed me to get closer in proximity to this ideal and um the th- problem with it is it's it's kind of like it's an illusion of transgression yeah. you i can never be a white woman no yeah <laughs> and i don't want to be <laughs> but in your mind subconsciously you want those things and then and then the person who you're trying to be like is also trying to distance themselves so they now she's making everything organic mm. and now her whole f- her whole home is environmentally friendly <laughs> and i'm just like well shit am i ever going to get there <laughs> So these, they just keep moving the goalposts. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. and that's essentially how symbolic proximity works. Is that it's it's actually a latent function of being a part of a capitalistic, hegemonic, um, patriarchal society mm. that allows us to continue to you know recreate those same ideals within ourselves and think that it's just what we want.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Yeah. So that was, and so that's how I started uh, working at U of T and and teaching at U of T. Um, I worked with a group called uh, the Transitional Year Program that worked very hard to have people who may not have graduated from uni- from high school, giving them the opportunity to go to university for an eight-month program and get into an arts and science program. And, nice. And so it was very rewarding work, and um, I was happy to do it. But at the when my father died and my relationship started to end and everything just seemed to be falling apart at the same time getting into a car accident having what i must i would assume is the 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 concussion syndrome of like fogginess focus yeah, concentration yeah. memory all of these things were impacting me while i was trying to work so i decided to take some time off to heal mm-hmm. and during that healing journey i created the cocktails with la and started to reflect on some very you know taboo things that were happening in my life since childhood Uh, that were coming back to me as flooded memories. So as an example, I started to have memories of things that I experienced as a five-year-old that were completely inappropriate from members of my family, Um, growing up, getting into really bad relationships, always always kind of like following this pattern that I didn't seem to understand where it was coming from. And so by diving into the healing of this journey, I labeled myself a sex addict, not, be- and I know every every guy that I say this to, they get all excited. <laughs> they're in part, I'm like, oh, they're like, oh, she's a sex addict. What are you doing later? And then the other Have part, is-
0: <laughs> any addict is not a nice thing. Oh,
1: thank you. So the addict part is what exactly. was making my whole life fall apart. Exactly. But um, but they I-
0: get excited about the sex
1: part. Well, the- yeah, and they're <laughs> hoping that I'm off the wagon at that point. So. <laughs> but i but then it became more of a social commentary more than even me Mm. that i wasn't a sex addict in the sense that i just wanted to have sex hypersexuality i was thirsty as fuck again (laughs) thirsty af for belonging for intimacy for connection Mm. and i bartered sex for those things. For those things. And I didn't care where it was coming from. I didn't care how much I was spending to create the ambiance of what I believed I needed. Mm. And it started to get out of control. Right. And so by going into the healing journey of it, I decided that, well, these things did happen to me sexually. And I am trying to fix myself with the healing and the, the self-accountability parts that feels empty and thinking that it's outside of myself. Yes. And so I decided to go on a healing and sexual sovereignty journey nice. so that when I sleep with someone it's because I'm choosing to sleep with them not because I feel like they have some magical or dick like power or
0: like you think <laughs> it's something you have to do
1: right yeah I really thought that men had some power that they could provide to me to make me feel whole mm. and that's crazy
0: and all that really happens after is you just feel empty not full. you feel <laughs> empty yeah and that,
1: and I, I was there was a hole that as a result of trying to fill my hole
0: yeah <laughs> And it was just getting, just digging
1: deeper and deeper. Yeah, it gets out of control. It gets out of control. But it it was a, it's a good journey that I've gone on. Yes, I'm
0: glad you, when you said you took time out to heal, I'm glad you did that.
1: Me too. Because you know, this idea of black girl magic wasn't around when I was growing up. Oh yeah. And so to have this healing come at a, as this is also simultaneously happening in our society and me too is happening in our society, I thought it was very empowering for me to face the things that I was going through in an environment that was ready to listen yes, to that. Yes. So the magic the was no longer feel in like him. The like
0: there's no stigma or no like, negative... Backlash. You
1: are able to be honest. We can speak. I mean, I don't know how much we're being heard, but we are able to speak a lot more than we could before. (laughs) That's deep. Yeah. I don't know
0: how much we're being heard. That's true. Yeah.
1: And I'm not not naive in the sense that I recognize those things, but self-accountability has been the greatest form of self-love I've ever given to myself and to my family and to my friendships, Mm. that there aren't very many left of them, but... Now when somebody comes into my life, I'm not codependent in that negative sense. I'm interdependent, and I want to see my community rise. I want to see myself excel, my family. I I tend on breaking generational curses. And so these things have been great in terms of motivating me to stay on the wagon, to stay the route, and still have good sex, and still heal and love myself. Mm -hmm. So it's good. It's I love that, good.
0: and you know that's some, that's actually a very important point when you're talking about how we're in the age of this whole black girl magic thing. Yes. Um. But then also bearing that in mind when we say, I don't know how much we're being heard. Yeah. Because I f- I personally feel like s- to an extent the whole black girl magic thing, the strong black woman thing, mm-hmm. does us a bit of a disservice. Talk because it. <laughs> it makes it seem like we don't go through pain. Right. It makes it feel like, seem like we don't hurt. Like we're not right. human. Right. This black girl, magic. I'm not magic, I'm a
1: human. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, everything in our society perpetuates that. So you'll often see the black woman in these movies yeah. as the magical trope. Right. You know, even Green Mile, the big black, the black guy that this was is in. It. Yeah, we're the magical creatures in these shows. This is it. So um, then when we
0: say, I'm hurting, yeah. it's like we're not believed. Of course, of course not. And you know, no one f- feels like we're worthy of sympathy right. or like exactly. or, or s- help or compassion. Yeah. Exactly. So and I have this thing I say to my husband all the time. I always say I'm a damsel in distress. Yes, exactly. That's my, that's my running joke. But I love to. I, I'm the damsel in distress. Listen. Okay.
1: Yes. <laughs> that white woman fragility. Can I have yes. some? Because yes. they're allowed to be. You know feminine and 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 they're allowed not to cry be like, helpless yes. and
0: feel helpless and i always say like when i'm going through hard times i i sometimes i refuse to stand up and be the strong one yeah i'll be in the corner being helpless <laughs> while everyone else
1: help but somebody that, but else get somebody else to do it but that's the sad part <laughs> is that because of us being so seen as strong and magical You'll stay in that corner mm. and you, you will cry, mm. but you may not feel supported. And yeah. that was very true of my experience. I don't, I don't, and even to this day, um, my community has kind of risen up for me because I rise up for my community, but yes. in personal intimate relationships, I don't really seeing it overflow there. I see that together we all are kind of doing our own thing and we're helping one in, one another in the public sphere. But in our intimate relationships, a lot of damage is being done because we're all traumatized and we don't know how to manage it Mm. and we're hurting each other. So that's the most dangerous part about it. But I think talking about these things are important. It's very. And and doing it in a way that's not like, I hate this idea that, you know, oh, we're all going to (laughs) kumbaya. No, no, I'm sorry. It's not like that. It hurts like hell. It does. I've been in the fetal position. I have cried my eyes out. I've had suicidal ideation. I have had a lot of things that broke me right down. And Mm. I had two choices. So I'm sitting here because I made the right choice, but... There were times where I didn't think I could make those choices, mm. and um,
0: and what you know. what what
1: was the thing that just kept you going? God, mm. of course. You know us. You know us, black people, and God. But <laughs> I'm, I'm finding more and more black people that are, are saying that they're atheists, and I'm so I know, I I'm so it. intrigued by them. And I don't judge them at all, but I'm so intrigued by the idea of stripping away what has been so much a part of our identity. Where yeah. do you stand in the gap for that? Like, I wow. I feel like
0: a lot of the time it comes from just maybe like trauma in unhealthy church experiences. Yeah, and I've like heard that as well.
1: I didn't grow up in the church. I did. And I think that's what saves me. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I did. Have that. And I can
0: understand why a lot of people are like, forget this. Yeah. Because no. there are some experiences where you're like, really? You yeah. guys? But then I have to remember, like, that's not, these are people, human beings, and human beings are not perfect. But that is not that doesn't mean that that's who God is. And it shouldn't and separate you, to, s- you from God. Yeah, and I had to remember, like, I can't judge God based on his people's actions. Yeah, Because well, these people are figuring things out just like just everybody like, else. Just like you are. So they're like are not I perfect, am. and they've made some mistakes, but I cannot blame God for that. That no, is not God's fault.
1: That's not God's fault, but um, <laughs> I think the biggest... Uh, predictor of my success has come from my relationship with yes, god that's it's, what it's about. literally a relationship that's what it's about i lie down and i have pillow talk even though there's nobody there beside me i will have pillow talk with my creator it's intimate it's beautiful yes um and there's something about lying down next to someone like when, th- when you're with your husband in those early moments or right before going to bed you have some really powerful conversations yeah. of empowerment of of love, of uh, direction and that's the kind of conversations i have with my creator in the form of prayer in the form of meditation and uh, you know and does it always make me feel better no it doesn't and so i don't want to give people the uh, opinion that you know the perspective that you know all you have to do is this you have to do a whole bunch of things because
0: sometimes sometimes it's like um Sometimes in your in those moments and conversations with God, God will drag you, like <laughs> hold what? you accountable exactly. for the things that you you are the weapon formed against yourself <laughs> in this moment, me.
1: Patrice. <laughs> like Yes, exactly. Oh, the mirror. I see you, mirror. Yeah, I see You're you. You're praying in the for me to
0: fix something that you can fix. Fix it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes and God will yeah. say, I gave
1: you the tools. Exactly. We have a hard time humbling <laughs> ourselves because as black people, we've also been, you know, really disenfranchised. In so many ways, these microaggressions, so much is coming against us. Um, but, you know, the devil doesn't waste bullets. So there's a reason why. Oh, that's, I like that one. <laughs> I think Stephen Furtick or one of those pastors I like it. that one. <laughs> but that's, yeah, yeah, the devil doesn't waste bullets. And if you can see the aggression that comes against black people, that's how we know. And even if it is a mythical story that I'm recounting or, you know, when atheists don't believe in that, it soothes me. Mm. It soothes me to know that I have a creator that died for me, that I can uh, obliterate the things that I've done as wrong and be contrite about it. Not just like, oh, I, I reconciliation. No, this is it. Contrite. Because My behavior has to change.
0: Yeah. And people say stuff like, oh, religion is just a, it's just a crutch. And I say, what's wrong with having a
1: crutch? Yeah. It's my crutch. <laughs> because if I'm disabled, I want to be able to okay. walk. Okay,
0: When your <laughs> leg is broken, do you not need a crutch? Exactly.
1: <laughs> right. Like, do you not need one? Yeah. So, like, I don't see what's wrong with that. They identify it. Maybe they see themselves as having to say they're weak. Mm. And that's hard for people. And what if you are? Yeah. Well, that's hard for people yeah. to stand in the black girl magic and still you're, say you're weak. Mm.
0: Me, I'm very I'm comfortable. I'm good with it. I'm too. I'm very comfortable. With I that. wrote a people whole book about it. I'm not
1: capable. <laughs> I'm feeling weak.
0: Yes, okay. I feel weak. A I'm lot. happy with that. Like, yeah. me, this is me. If there's oh, a portrait yeah. of me.
1: <laughs> right? And then the rest. The rest piece is also a big proponent in allowing yourself to heal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's we why don't... I'm
0: saying I'm glad you took the time to heal because sometimes yeah. we would power through it. Oh yeah, we do. And, and just I just push through because we've got, feel like we've got to be the strong one. Yep. And I've got to be strong for my family. And I've got to be strong for my kids. And yep. then and then when you are laid up in the hospital bed, then you're no good to your You're kids. no good to anybody. Exactly. Yeah, I say this all the time. So now let's get into the book. <laughs> this is juicy. Okay. Yeah. Talk about this. The title is The
1: Adventures of a Recovering Sex Addict, Volume One, Married Men and Fuck Boys. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I said it. Yeah, you
0: said it. When I saw that, I said to myself, ooh, what's she going to have me talking about on this podcast
1: today? Well, contrary to what it might sound like, the married men and F boys can't exist without me participating. Right. Right? So your husband um, can't cheat on you unless I also allow him to cheat on you. Yes. So I participate in that. And... That, that self-accountability piece has been the, the switch towards my healing. Mm. I never saw it before. I, I felt very justified in many of the things that I would do and say. My anger, all of these, my shame, I felt justified because I even mentioned at one point that I was looking for some type of spiritual and emotional reparation
0: mm. for what has
1: happened to me.
0: My gosh, it's so deep. <laughs> yeah. So when you say what has happened to me, can we go into that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, well, sure. If, if you're you comfortable. Want to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely it's really great to share your story and tell your story over and over again because it does kind of lose its power over you. Ooh. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So there is there is power in the repetition of your story because, My gosh. because even like broken telephone. I might tell you, I said this story back in 2019, and how I tell it today has changed so much. Not that the, the facts of the story, but the way I feel about the yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. Um, the way that I can, and I've, what I've learned as a result of the story. So when I tell it, I have new wisdom. So now I can tell it in a new way every time that I do it. And so it definitely doesn't have the same power over me. But uh, back when I was uh, about five years old, I began to that i began to remember anyway that i was sexually abused now i this this repressed memory thing and people having flashbacks i know people don't have a real understanding of what that mm. is so i i'm trying my hardest to go through my process and then journal so that i can share it with people so okay, that they yeah. know that things that are happening to them cuz you don't want to make up stories about people yes and so I'm very, you know, I'm hesitant sometimes to talk about things, but the things that I do know, it's kind of like if you hug your, when you met your husband and you hugged him and he, there was a, he had a beautiful scent or a, a cologne that he wore that you remember the breeze or the way that the the weather was, there's certain indicators that help you know that you're not making up what you're remembering.
0: Right. Okay. And, and
1: so there was something about, um, this sounds so weird, but blood pudding what's that so it's actually a british thing really (laughs) oh it's a black pudding okay yeah we call it blood pudding in the caribbean got it so black pudding is in this like package and it and you know it's it's phallic in nature the way that it's structured in the package very black it has the all of the stuff inside of it and i remember I, i started to remember an experience with regards to this blood pudding black pudding and um with that memory i would get flashes of what took place and there's it has a very distinct smell Mm. and it makes me have this weird feeling in my in my salivatory glands and so these things are happening to me for a reason and it started like that where i would just have the sensation then i started to have the picture of it and then when you pull out of if you were if you if it was being filmed and the camera kind of pulls back and you can see more of the frame what i could see was how the abuse for me that i remember began mm. and um so there was a lot of sexual abuse there was a lot of um innuendo in my home my father used to be with lots of different women behind my mother's back and he would bring me along as a way of I guess, covering his tracks. I mean, oh, I can no. only know that in retrospect. Yeah. While I was there, I just thought I was daddy's little girl, <laughs> which was right. worse so that when he left, it became like a real abandonment because that was my, that was, that was my yeah. man. Oh, that, man. Was like, that was my guy. And um, so a lot of that kind of stuff was happening. Uh, you know, the abuse within uh, relationships, rape, um, pregnancy at a very, very young age, all of these things and then not having the support of adults around you Mm. who know how to help you think through those things in a very formative time Mm. and so a lot of people reference me as childlike or youthful in the way that I approach things and I am because I was frozen in time in a sense yeah and I've been I grew as an adult but I always kind of reasoned as a child in a sense because I was never taught anything. My mom had three jobs. My father left and I was left to my own devices. And I understood things through television. The Cosby Show. Yeah. I mean, I literally learned. And then the Bible. Yes. These were the things that I had access to at the time. And, um, and that's how I learned how to construct who I was as a person, but a lot of it was imitation. Yeah. And and the things that happen on TV do not happen in in real real life. life. But I was confused by that. Even Mm. as an adult, I didn't understand the disconnect of when I do this, people like me, but then there's there's other parts to it that I don't see. And I had run away from home at 16. You did? Yeah, I ran away from home at 16 and just kind of worked and didn't graduate from high school. So I ended up going through the same program that I helped Students go through. It was kind of like a poster child for that program. Right. But at 31, I decided to go back to school and and not finish. I still don't have a high school diploma, but now I have a master's in education. So I went through the program. I did my undergrad, did my master's, and then got hired by the very program that gave me that access. And so I felt very indebted to that program. But I had a lot of trauma, and yeah. I didn't understand my anger especially in relationships with unmet expectations that we don't talk about in marriages and we don't talk about even with our friendships. They just kind of happen and then people have hurt feelings. Yeah. And then we ghost them, we cancel culture them, and there's so much damage that gets left behind. When you hang up the phone and block someone, do you ever wonder what happens on the other side?
0: Like, no. Right. You don't think about how that has affected them
1: yeah because it's not you our culture will tell us that it's just do you boo mm. just you know go out there and be the best that you can be and if someone's giving you quote unquote bad vibes then leave them alone yeah
0: and i feel like that is so that's dangerous. not helping people to develop. You're not no. developing as a human as a human being. You're not building character if every minor inconvenience you block someone or cut them off. Yeah. You're not learning conflict resolution. No. You're not learning how to maintain relationships or build strong relationships with right. people or maintain them. Yeah. You're and running
1: and away. Exactly. But and and in saying that you're 100% correct um but there are situations where and that's where having a relationship if you're not Christian with yourself, then, and having that internal discernment and dialogue, is so important because some very. people do need to be cut off, some people, or at do. least have a very strict boundary. Yeah, with. but and tell it's understanding them understanding
0: how to c- create those boundaries exactly. And what you just said was important because I um, about you know forming your your personality based off of just TV and just yeah. things that that yeah. you had access to. I did the same. You grow up watching grew up watching that's a raven and shows that you know made me i formed my personality off of these characters on television and my sister as well my big sister took bits of her personality and just (laughs) people around me and just kind of created me and then you get to an age where you're like hold on is this my personality or am i performing is this a performance (sighs) i'm like am i performing myself or is this really who
1: i am oh my gosh Um, you
0: need to understand who you are like that identity Crisis thing
1: that happens. Uh, Girl, it's real.
0: And if you don't have that self awareness or know who you
1: really are, then it can be difficult to form relationships. And then try to be married in spite of not knowing and then have children while you don't you still don't know who you are. Yeah. And that's the danger of getting married when you don't know who, you're, who yes. you are when you are in a state of codependency because I would be very easily primed for codependency just based on how I was raised. Mm-hmm. I want somebody that quote unquote take care of me. Right. And and, and, and in a way there's nothing necessarily wrong nothing with that. At all. But with my background, I had to get to a place of stripping away and being independent and knowing who I was first. So then I can have a realistic understanding of what am I asking for from this person that yeah. I'm deciding to be with. It's from a different place. So
0: Yeah. And it was kind of the opposite for me because I've been a caretaker. Mm. Like I'm just I am a natural caretaker, but yeah. also I just have a very independent personality. I'm one of those I'll get it done myself type of people. Oh, okay. So it's like my whole life I'll kind of do for others, make sure everyone's okay, natural caretaker. Da 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 da. In my ri- marriage, that's the only re- place where I'm just like,
1: I- <laughs> I'm <laughs> a yes, damsel so <laughs> Help me, <laughs> yes. honey. Can you do this for me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And um, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm very comfortable with telling him I need him. Yeah. And he's, he likes being needed. Of course. And I'm very comfortable with just like, just relaxing and not feeling like I have to be like superwoman. 100%. And he laughs at me because he's like, the world sees this boss lady. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm out here, you know, doing my thing. And he's like, the world sees this see, boss lady, you know, but I just see like, you know, just the real sweet, you. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, but there's something really important about that. It's also, I remember in my marriage, I supported my husband so much that, I only ever got to see him shine, which is what endeared me to him. Mm. But he never got to see me shine. It wasn't reciprocated. It was not reciprocated. Mm. And so I did feel alone. I did feel like overlooked. Yeah. I did feel like everything else was more important than me. And what was me? Like now I can be like, oh, whatever, LA. Like, you know, get over it. But at the time, it really felt like death to me.
0: I don't like the get over it. I hate when people tell me that. Because no, I I refuse. I'm not getting over it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to process this. Yes. And.
1: And you're going to sit there and listen. And
0: it's part of my story. So if I'm telling my story, I'm going to say it and I won't just get over it. Like it's part of. Yeah. I, when people say that it feels dismissive like you never want me to mention this ever again exactly. or you're tired of hearing it yes. or like you don't want to like you you don't have the emotional capacity and to hear me talk about this so if that's the case then remove yourself but don't tell me to get over it because yeah. i will not yeah and that
1: right what you're talking about is a huge problem in our in melanated relationships Mm. and why you know a lot of melanated men might find themselves with other races is because that same dynamic isn't always there Mm. and 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 then when we get accused of our tone and all of the we're we're always hyper vigilant about who we are and like every little thing we're we're scrutinizing ourselves and society also does it so we don't have a reprieve so when you can have a relationship where you provide space for one another,
0: yeah, uh, then you have
1: because something to with. Because I was always the loud girl, right? And they'll tell you that.
0: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you're you're loud. You're extra. <laughs> you know, and you get self conscious of it. Am exactly. Am I being too this? Am I right. too that? Am I too much? You're policing yourself. Yeah, and then you yeah. try to shrink yourself to make other people feel comfortable, and then you just end up feeling very insecure.
1: Yeah. Exactly. About yeah. your
0: personality, and it's like those things that I guess people always tell you are so bad, end up being some of your greatest qualities.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but you can never, you can never do great things with those qualities because you're always suppressing them because you feel so insecure about them.
1: Exactly. I mean, yeah. you're damned if you do, and you're damned, damned if, you, if don't. you don't. But at the end of the day, whatever happens in the in society, in the world that you live in, in your environment. When you have that person that is there for you, that understands those nuances, that you can talk through those things in this way, then you're very blessed. Mm. But many of us don't have that. And we're trying to figure it out. And we can't rely on our own understanding Mm -hmm. from from what I've read and to my own discernment. There's sense in that statement that people don't really understand how to interact with it what to do about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so we stay, we remain stuck.
0: Yeah, we do. Okay, so I'm ready to get into this book for real, for real. Okay. We've been talking about it, but I'm going to grab my tea now. <laughs> yes, and I want you guys time. at home to go get your wine, get your tea. Pause, pause mm-hmm. this, go get your tea, your wine. Yes. And then come back because we're going to hear a little snippet of the book. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Okay. All right, let's go. Okay, here we go. So, The Adventures of a Recovering Sex Addict, Volume 1, Married Men and F-Boys. This is a piece from the prologue. I sat up in bed with a baby still attached to my breast. I watched him pace back and forth from the closet to the piles of semi-organized clothes and race pack gels on the floor. Our spacious bedroom just amplified the distance between us. He hadn't touched me in months, even before the baby. He seemed excited for his trip but failed dreadfully to conceal it. The pep in his step, along with his hyper-focus on which bug spray and tanning lotion he should bring, gave away his true feelings. How much coverage do you think? Thirty or sixty, he asked, holding up the tanning lotion in my direction after realizing he hadn't stopped to acknowledge my presence in over thirty minutes. Does it matter? You never use it anyhow, I replied, as I rolled my eyes and glanced down at the baby. At least one of us was satisfied, I thought as the baby sucked with his eyes closed and a contented expression on his face. As Gavin continued to pace, I reflected on the breast to bottle transition. I watched the baby begin to fall asleep. We had been somewhat successful in transitioning Kai to the bottle, but I felt like a cow every time I had to pump the breast milk. (laughs) Enjoy it, little one, I thought. This might be your last meal directly from the source. (laughs) (laughs) He had the most amazing bone structure. Oh, wait, no, this is this jumped ahead. (laughs) My baby does have good bone. (laughs) I couldn't believe he was leaving me alone with the baby, knowing that I was terrified. I hadn't been feeling myself. I started during my pregnancy. It started during my pregnancy and became worse after giving birth. I had no interest in having a baby to raise alone, especially as I edged closer to 40. I didn't realize it then, but I didn't know myself, much less trust myself to stand on my own and be my own person. There, I'm packed, he said with enthusiasm, disrupting my deep focus and reflections. I put the baby down as he had just burped and drifted off into a food coma. Listen, I said disappointingly. I booked a trip to Grenada for me and the kids. I told you I didn't want to be left alone. It's too soon for me. And besides, my mom is there and I could really use the help. He looked at me dumbfounded. I said to him, your race in Costa Rica is badly timed, but if you feel you must go, then go, I said passive-aggressively. What do you want me to say, Callie? I planned this race before we got pregnant. He was irritated by my concerns, even when it was a simple question. I always felt like I was too much for him. It hurt my feelings. I didn't know how to articulate what I needed because I didn't think it mattered enough to him anyway. It seemed like all he really wanted was the awkwardness to stop regardless of the resolution. I had tried to tell him so many times that I had booked the trip, but I abandoned all attempts. He was always sticky about money except for when it came to things he wanted to do. His outwardly directed thriftiness brought me back to the times when I needed to ask permission for water, to drink as a child. You wouldn't dare just go take what you wanted or needed without asking first. Most of the men in my life took exactly what they wanted from me. Mm. I had to book that trip because it wasn't safe for me to be alone with the kids. After my emotional breakdown, he agreed that it would be best that I went. I hadn't been back to Grenada since Gavin and I met 11 years before. He was so romantic then in our earlier years together as a couple. I still love that about him. And then it goes into a whole Mm. reflection.
0: Oh, I just love that. Thank you. There's so much to even um, unpack there. <laughs> yes. But like, I love it. it. It takes me back to like, I want to say my teens when I used to read. I mean, I don't know. That was an era for black literature back then. Yeah. Like, you know, the Omar Tyree and the and Sister the,
1: Soldier. And the Eric Jerome Dickey. Ooh,
0: and I would like read Sweet St. Louis by Omar Tyree was my favorite book. Mm. And I would read, oh, actually, my. Yeah, that was my favorite book. And then my second favorite book was Coldest Winter Ever by oh, Sister, yeah, Sister Soldier. Soldier. And just hearing you read that and just listening to your story in that way just kind of brought me back to those.
1: That's awesome. Those days. Listen, I love that. And I've, I hear it all the time from people that this is what re- it reminds yeah. them of. And I, I take that as such a pride of honor. for Because for, I, I always you dreamed that I could be an author. But I was discouraged as a child. From Why? writing, wow, <laughs> for lots of <laughs> dysfunctional, <laughs> toxic reasons. Mm. But to be here now with this knowing and this learning and this this, courage to face what um, we don't like to talk about, has been very, very empowering for me and in, in the written word form for me. Because
0: I hear your inner thoughts in the moment, like you're just, you're breastfeeding, but you're also noticing that your relationship is breaking down yeah. and just the sign, you're kind of detailing the signs that you had seen. Yes. And it's like, it's reflective. So this is what you wrote when you were during when you was taking your time off for healing. Exactly.
1: Actually, I wrote this book um, in July. Oh, you did? <laughs> I wrote it in ju- yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. I wrote this in July. And I released it October 11th. Wow. Okay. So this one just kind of just flowed out of me. I have another book called Thirsty AF from the Desert to the Well that I haven't released. Okay. Because it's incredibly difficult to write. Yeah. yeah. There are things. It's basically Callie's. life. It's just like unearthing things. Yeah. It's Callie's life, a.k.a. my life prior to these times, like what happened from five up. Mm. and i write about it and it's uh it's really yeah. jarring and i don't know if our community is ready <laughs> i don't know if we're ready for this yeah um, but no you know, i
0: think it's i think we are and i think we need it
1: yeah it's very lonely to be this courageous by the way it's very really much. really hard um but another thing that you when you reference those people they're all in the states or somewhere else and i don't know of any afro-caribbean canadian writers that write about this kind of stuff. So I hope this I'm is making it. And the same
0: in the UK. It's like.
1: Yeah, I hope I'm trailblazing something here. Oh, and you are. <laughs> Thank like you. for sure.
0: This is imp- it's important. Like it's yeah. so needed and it's therapeutic for you say it's lonely to be courageous. It is. But it's lonelier to be going through it and not hear anybody else sharing their story. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like what you're doing is creating. Um, you're you're you're, first of all giving representation for those who are going through certain things, but haven't heard anyone else express that they're going through it. Right. But creating a space for them to feel like, oh, so I can talk about this
1: too, or like, so it's not just me. And exactly, do you know what I mean? Like, and I want to be really conscious of, even though I'm talking about, because you get into my sexual encounters mm -hmm. and whatnot, I. I'm very conscious of not replicating the spectacle that is our sex lives and, and oh, yeah, <laughs> very, very conscious of that. Yeah. So while the cover of the book is like me naked on the cover in an illustrated version, because yeah. me being me personally on the cover <laughs> naked would be a lot, but, um, i feel like it's more palatable this way but there's a the essence of being naked is exactly what it is that i how i write yes i'm naked not just on the cover but within the book itself with Mm -hmm. my thoughts and my feelings that's deep yeah and that's why i did it this way
0: can i ask you a question how do your children feel about your story and yeah uh, right feel about your book (laughs) like have they read it do they know about all of this stuff and like how does that
1: they they know in part Mm -hmm. praise the lord (laughs) They know in part, my 21 year old, like he gets everything that I'm saying, mm-hmm. but he can't he says, I can't read that. Mm. I can't read it. And he would be the same one that I spoke about my journey back in 2019. And he's like, oh boy, mom's going to talk about this again. <laughs> so it's a, it's like it's it's embarrassing for him. Yeah. Um. But I'm, I'm also not in his circles of friends. Yeah, and So yeah. I can have a very separate life. Um, he has a different last name than me. Um, so it's you know, it's not it's close but it's not i will say that um recently he's been saying i'm really proud of you oh i Um, love that he has softened towards me in a way that if he didn't understand why i was the way i was now there's an open dialogue for things in all things um so yeah so beautiful and i spoke
0: about this in another episode but like these types of things humanize us to our children and it it actually de- strengthens our relationship absolutely so there have been things that I you know when my mom had shared certain things with me that humanized her for me and yeah. allowed me to give her some more grace yes. with certain things that maybe I had held resentment towards her for and for that same reason from the age of eight I've kept journals so I yes. have a, a stack Girl. about 20 something journals of my whole life from eight all the way up until like twenty four. Wow. I've kept them. I documented my whole life, all my relationships, all my studies, all my travels. And I kept that stack of journals because I said, if I ever have a daughter one day, I want to give her these yes. so that she can like read what yes. I what my life was like, who I was, what Mum used to do, what Mum used to think about the things that mom used to think were like the big end of the world. Exactly, And, and hopefully, you know, that does humanize me for her but also gives her an understanding of like who i am beyond Mm -hmm. just being like my mom she can know i'm a i'm a person and if she's ever going through similar things to the things i went through she can kind of hear how i got myself out of it or how i handled it also that she can know that like when i'm sitting and giving you advice it's not I know what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. You're not <laughs> you know? just, you know, I'm, talking know about the side of your mouth. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think it's actually very powerful that you have your story in books and you've written it and it's documented. Yeah. This is for your children. Yes. Um, Because, I mean, they're 20, what, 21, 21
1: and 10. 21 and 10. 21
0: and 10 now. But, you know, when they're 50 and 60, they will still have these memories oh, yeah. of you when you're long gone. Yes. And um, your grandchildren, too, will know who you yep
1: their yes, grandmother was exactly and and, the, and and that and the legend continues and I, I i love that quote about you know no woman who, no controversial woman has ever made history well there we go <laughs> i'm very controversial um and i i'm starting to own it and just be who i am because this is this is just i'm a pastor told me i'm the woman at the well and the woman at the well is in i think it's John 14 where they talk about um this woman who had been married five times and she had still been now living mm. with another man and she keeps coming back to the well to get the water at a certain time where nobody can shame her. Yes. And Jesus is waiting for her. Because he,
0: he already knows. he doesn't know you. <laughs> <well, well, Gwen. laughs> he, <laughs> he knows, he knows all your business. <laughs> right.
1: And that isn't judging you. And isn't judging you and lets her know that if you come back to the well of your, like the well within you, which is where I'm going to be placed inside of mm. you. You will never thirst again. Oh, and that is the deepest shit I had ever heard. Yes, that a pastor had actually told me um, about my life because I was looking for the well in other people for yes. me. I kept going to those wells. Yeah, yeah. But when he empowered me to say, "No, my love, the well is inside of you, in you," then I never thirst. Because I'm always able to be the source that I need for any given thing that I need to do.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's so powerful. (laughs) Yeah. So important. And also, like, just before we wrap up, I kind of want to get a glimpse as well of what it's been like having such a dynamic business and a mod- being a mother at the same time. Because your young one is quite young. He's 10. Yeah, he's 10. So all of this has been going on just kind of like through his childhood, really. Yes. And so what's that been like?
1: So I include him very much in my process. Because mm-hmm. um, he also, I think I gave him some of my anxiety. Sorry, Bray, you're so sweet. <laughs> um oh. <laughs> But we have this, like, uh, you know when you go to the hospital and they have the different happy faces to know yeah. how much pain you're in? So we do colors, and it goes from green to red, in this monochromatic and until it changes into the pink to the red. Mm-hmm. And it signifies emotionally what's going on for us so i'm able to communicate to him when i'm having a hard time and then he's able to communicate to me when he's having a hard time and it's just the language that we both know that nobody else is really a part of that so that even when he's interacting with his grandmother or his aunt we know what's going on and Mm. he feels really comforted by that oh i I can say that he can feel so he's a part of my experience he got to hear that i was that Bad things happened to me when I was even younger than him. And so he's much more conscious. He's very socially and emotionally conscious Mm. of everything. He watches TV and he has a critical eye. And that's a big part of my work in my career is to not tell you what to think, but to get you to think, period. We don't think. (laughs) Yeah, We just accept things. Mm. So by giving, you know, I display information in a way that, forces you to engage in it in a critical way. And so you, I'm, I'm promoting that discernment, that emotional connection to yourself or to your God to be able to know what is what for you. Because yeah. it, what is for me may not be for my 10-year-old or for my 21-year-old. This is it. But if I teach them how I access parts of myself to make decisions, whether it's good or bad, I can artic- articulate that and own it yes. in the same way that I want because I can have a conversation with anyone if they're able to admit what they did as well.
0: Yeah, it makes
1: a conversation go way smoother. Yeah. So <laughs> if you can be honest with me, right. that we can move forward. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. At least there's hope. Yeah. And so that's what I, I, I talk about hope a lot in my home, mm-hmm. and I don't know how much it, of a impact it's making in terms of like immediate, but in in any immediate sense there has been moments of being able to draw for the things that we've been working on. Yes, absolutely. And it contextualizes any given conversation in a very powerful way. I will
0: way. be surprised at what's getting in. Like, yeah. what they just observe and what they see and what they experience. And like, even he might not get it all now, but like when he grows up, people are like, wow, mom mom wrote a book when I was young. Mom yeah. did this when I was oh, young. Yeah, she did that, my younger that, younger one that. says he wants
1: to be an author now. You see? And, and that's yeah. the
0: same. Like my sister, she's an author and um, her daughter's, started writing books too like my my niece yeah. now has her own book and she's only 10 but yes. that's just cuz she saw her mom exactly doing it and they watch us they copy they exactly they follow you yeah. know it's like
1: yeah and where I would normally have felt that shame and demonized the things cuz I'm talking about sex which is really taboo <laughs> like that's hard for people to talk about with their children but I think I've it's, empowered them I
0: feel like it's hard for people to talk about with their children but we need to because that is how they develop healthy relationships with it and exactly. understand what its purpose is and how it fits in their life because it is a part of life that exactly. we need to understand and not misuse exactly or misunderstand. And I think if we don't have a space to talk about it in our house or if yeah. it seemed like it's like a bad word or right? it's like a n- terrible thing, then like how can we ever exactly. learn how to have a healthy relationship
1: with it (laughs) exactly so i love that the the direction of my my entrepreneurial efforts are taking i incorporated my media company because the traveling podcast where i go out into the streets or have instant down interviews talking about love sex dating relationships and business because these are the things that we thirst for um has been really great and fun but to write this book and it now becoming a screenplay for next year (gasps) I get to transition into the film world and the TV world. Um, I have a lot of um, opinions about political things in regards to our community. So there's a docu series that I'm working on called "Can You Hear Us Now?" in the in the same spirit of "We Speak," but are we being heard? Mm. So I'm I'm excited for all of those kind of things. I just welcome it all. God's going to give me back everything Listen. the devil stole from me. <laughs> hey, come on now. <laughs> exactly. You know when you put your
0: our gifts make room for us. Yeah. And so we just have to put them out there and just say, look, use me, Lord. Like, I'm willing, I'm ready and to be used. Yeah. And And move me out of the
1: way so I can do it properly. Yeah yeah so, and yeah. drag
0: me if i need to be dragged just yeah. let me know what i need to do and put me in the right place and so on and so forth exactly la take my money screenplay <laughs> books audiobook <laughs> anything you're selling i'm ready with my bank card okay i'm here for it i'm ready with my bank card. abundance come on <laughs> yes. bring it on
1: <laughs> thank yes. you so
0: much for joining me thank today this conversation me. has been so important so meaningful so. L- wonderful to have amazing i know the moms at home are listening to this and just going
1: yes yes come follow me at yeah. the cocktail brand on instagram or this is laway.com is my website and please just journey with me go to youtube follow mm-hmm. me la wade media and you know i'm just trying as i go along so i'm just starting out However, I've come a long way, and you can see it. When you go to those, when you see my Instagram, when you see what's happening, this is God's work. Yes. And that's profound to say. You're doing the thing. And I'm talking about sex, so I don't know. Listen, God made sex. Exactly, and we don't talk about it.
0: Thank you so much for coming on today. And join us back next week, guys, for another important episode.